Okay, Reed. So it's NAA week here in 2020. Well, yep. maybe not. <laughs> it was on my calendar, and now it's moved, like every other major event in this in, in multifamily this year, including our own. Yeah. So um, we had thought that this would be fun to just. Um, well, since we've now, I don't think actually we've done any. I guess we've done some travel this year, but we haven't done any events this year because once COVID hit early, I know I was in Minneapolis, I think in February, and then most events start in March. Yep. We haven't actually done any events, which is kind of in one way, I feel super awesome about it. <laughs> I feel <laughs> super recharged and like ready to hit the road. Yeah. Um, but in, in another way, it's like, shoot, it's, it feels like a really weird thing. You know what it feels like to me, actually, you remember the first year? Well, of course you do. The first year we started the company, we had like zero travel budget. I know you had grand plans like, oh, you and Nicole are so mobile. You can road trip around the US. <laughs> and you can See you guys there. later. Come back to me in six months with some business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, of course we didn't, unfortunately, didn't end up road tripping anywhere. But um, my point here is like, it reminds me of that where it's like you events in, in this space, even though like they can be exhausting, they're a good way to almost mark like the the, the march of time in a way, like this yeah. weekend, I got uh, alerts. Like I, we were in San Diego for NAA two years ago, um, when when Nicole we didn't even have a booth, and Nicole and I just uh, banded Like yeah. meaning banded is a running race term when you sneak yeah. into a race. Stole some Greek coupons and you know said you'd hand them out at this location. <laughs> exactly. We just snuck in and we're like yeah. cool and walking around and pretending like hiding, like wearing hoodies in San Diego. Like oh yeah, we don't. You can't see my badge because right. it's covered by the hoodie. Right. Um, and just met people. And now, obviously, it's like NA is, is becoming like a big staple of ours, or we thought it would be, because we went last year as a sponsor. We were going to go this year. So that march of time is what I'm saying is like now feels interrupted. And now it feels like I'm in the freaking twilight zone. <laughs> yeah, totally. Bermuda Triangle of multifamily. Yeah. So uh, we anyway, so we thought just to sort of, I guess, honor this week uh, is that we would be doing a quick, like uh, a couple podcasts around... Um, well, in lieu of NAA. And so this one we wanted to hit, um, I almost sound like I'm doing the intro right now, but we just thought we would talk about what we're, what we're missing from events this year and what, um, I guess what we look forward to when they, when they start back up again. Yeah. And probably topics that we would have expected to hear about, which right now, as you were, you and I were just saying offline, but is more important than ever. And that's the unfortunate thing for sure about, you know, what's taking place all these events being moved or canceled. Uh, there's a lot of questions swirling around that frankly were there before, uh, you know, COVID. Um, but now you layer that on, on top of um, Black Lives Matter and, you know, the movement that's happening across the country, you know, and the economic crisis. And you got all sorts of uh, really, really important topics that I think people, uh, you know, want to network, want to talk about, want to hear thought leadership on. So it is unfortunate um, is, is the only word that you can really say uh, that, you know, we're not going to be able to get at those events this year. But uh, the good news is, and, you know, we're going to have uh, Dennis on uh, from Joshua Tree Conference uh, or 
Did I yeah. get that right? Yeah. Um, in just a couple of days, but you know that several of them are finding ways, obviously virtually, to to try and still offer up those forums and you know some panels and things like that. Certainly, it's webinar Geddon. One of my I like to tack on the Geddon, uh, <laughs> and we're contributing a little bit to that. But uh, there's no lack of content out there. It's just not the same as uh, obviously being there in person. Well, where do you want to start? You want to start with what um, the sessions we're missing out on or like how this is impacting, I don't know, the mind meld of apartments or what? Yeah. Well, sessions is works for me. I mean, you know, I don't, I guess I don't have it at least committed to memory if we even saw it, but like what AIM had been planning um, versus, you know, some of the sessions in AA, there's just so much at AA. So it's, it's a lot to get at, but you know, things that people were looking forward to or were expecting and, you know, so much over the last few years has been focused on data and technology, rightfully so, as well as, um, you know, artificial intelligence, which obviously falls under the umbrella of technology. But uh, I think that, you know, the uses, the use case of those is what we might have heard some different angles or slants on uh, this year based on, uh, you know, how things are evolving with multifamily. Yeah, it's funny because that's exactly what I wrote down in my uh, 45 seconds of pre-notes. I said, uh how how many sessions would be about big data and AI? <laughs> yeah, yep. which I know we had um, we had one of our interns go back through prior history to see how that's changed <laughs> over time. If you remember, yeah, that was part of the. And you'll be glad to know this update: the viral video is back on. Oh yeah, <laughs> Cameron is ready to do it. Oh, she's gonna do it. For she's us. fired up. Yeah, yeah, and oh, it'll it stay on the original budget too. So nice. Yeah. Well, is it gonna? Is that like an end of year, or mid year? No, she thinks uh, end of the summer. Wow. Yeah. So for those that don't that know, that was what, one of the fun facts. All I'm saying is, in case, well, yeah. nobody would have gotten that if, no. we, if we don't tell them. No, but Reed for yeah. years has said this thing like we're gonna make a viral video, and first of all, he gets mocked by all the new folks that say you can't just make something viral, Reed, because you call it viral. Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> before. I think I was one of those people saying that. So there's just an easy way to, to, you yeah. know, say this, this video has the, the, name of the intent, project. the intent. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It is the project name. Well, anyways, it's a video of fun facts that we spent, I don't know, dozens of hours yeah. pulling together more, facts. More hours than we'd like to admit. Yeah. Well, anyways, um, yeah. So one of the fun facts was like in over the last three or four years, uh, big day and AI, as everyone can imagine, eats up a big portion of all of the the speaking engagements at NAA. And I was wondering if it finally played its course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started to go through the different NAA sessions this year, and then the other events that got canceled, like MTech and AIM. And um, certainly, there it, it's funny. In some ways, it felt like more of the same. It was like, oh, is this last year's schedule? Oh no, this is this year's schedule. Meaning, mm-hmm. how much? Cha- not a lot changes from year to year in the mass that is apartments. Mm-hmm. But at at the same time, I was starting to get um, FOMO on some of the sessions. Mm-hmm. Like as it was talking about, um, you, you mentioned um, Black Lives Matter and fair housing. Mm-hmm. And it's like only last year did I feel like fair housing, at least in my mind, started to really come forward from like a, we're going to have a session dedicated to fair housing and how it impacts things. Amazing um, what a few lawsuits will do to spur some content. Right. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, until somebody gets sued, you know, it's like the expression, nothing happens until something gets sold. But, you know, um, certainly, uh, yeah, a lot of people's interests were piqued after uh, the HUD HUD complaint on Facebook and then the subsequent uh, lawsuits that we've seen in the industry. So that was definitely one that, yeah, we were both interested in and really want to be thought leaders. So lots of gray area here. Maybe that's a decent jumping off point and not to pontificate, I guess, or... um, 
yeah, just go off on a rant on fair housing. But uh, any other thoughts like now that you've done, because you've been leading in pretty good uh, over the last few weeks as far as research, any questions that you would you would you know be raising your hand if you were you know in an audience like watching a panel right now uh people talk about this about fair housing or yeah like what are the what are some of the things you would pose if if you had some folks up there either you know from hud or folks in multifamily i mean we we know uh what was the law firm uh holland holland knights yeah yeah so you know i feel like she did a nice job, uh, and that was at Optech last year of, of fielding most questions. But there was a lot. I also thought she, you know, kind of talked around, and so um, yeah, we approached her afterwards and had some questions. But I just didn't know if if NAA had yeah a panel or a session devoted to this. Do you feel like you have another two or three questions now that you'd be really eager to get at? Well, always, but also I would be asking them afterwards and not tearing. <laughs> Don't want to scare people away, but. Um, yeah, I think the what we were getting at in that Optech session, I don't feel like it's been any more clear since we we had that conversation with them and and the other attorneys we've engaged with since. But is just um, I need I want like or need personally a decision tree on the gray area as you talk about because it's like every question we asked you know that organization or any of the other attorneys that are even ones that have been in HUD for a long time. It's like, well, what do you think about like? Uh, with bus stop ads, like I don't put them on every street in a 10 mile radius. How come am I expected to do that for digital marketing? And they're like, well, it depends on what your risk level is. And I just need a decision tree to help tell me, well, what the hell is my risk level? And look, we, we almost as much as anybody can understand you can get sued for anything regardless (laughs) of cause. So then I just want to know like, well, what do I need to do to just give myself, I guess, like a fighting chance. Cause I need, if I'm an, if I'm an owner or operator, I need to, I need to make business sense. Like I need to advertise, but I can't afford to, to send a direct mailer to everybody's home in Denver. Right. right. So what is, what is almost expected to be appropriate? And then getting more into the black lives matter conversation is what can we do to not just follow the law? And I guess this maybe that session wouldn't be appropriate, but this may be in a, in a session of like advanced marketers, but not just to follow the law, but what unintended consequences are we having by the way that we advertise today and how it's impacting these other populations. And I know we got into this with, with Benson about um, uh, disparate impact. That's where I was going to go. Yep. But the problem with disparate impact, at least as I've seen it is everyone uses it as like leprechauns have come in They've mm-hmm. infiltrated our campaigns and it's like, <laughs> and we don't know what the, what the, you know, mischievous leprechaun did. It's like, cool. What, what can we do to determine that the leprechaun caused a negative outcome or not? Cause it, the way it's thrown around now is like maybe negative stuff that happens. And it's like, yeah. And what do I, how do I do, how do I make it so that I'm not accidentally impacting these other populations, but still make business a good business decision by running this kind of advertising. And I guess like just tying that all to the whole movement that's happening today. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's anything anybody can do, especially in this digital era to, to completely eradicate. It's almost making the comparison, but I will to COVID, you know uh, you're looking for a vaccine almost for disparate impact. And, you know, to me, the best thing you can do is try and mitigate that risk or that potential upfront and, and that's as far as you can take it, but you can't actually eliminate, um, 
you know, any possibility of, of disparate impact. And I said that, and I know it, she's okay because she's already listened to the podcast and has caught her name on it before, but just, uh, I think it was last week, talking to Melissa Robbins from Graystar, and, you know, they're looking at uh, some recruitment campaigns right now for some job fairs here uh, in the mountain region. And she brought it up, you know, and it wasn't the first time we talked about it. And she just said, is there anything else, like, since we last spoke that you guys are doing to factor for disparate impact? And my answer hasn't changed much, but, you know, I let her know there's regulations, restrictions up front that you, you know, are already in place either through the platforms we work with or, well, primarily that. Um, but then there's some self-regulation. Uh, but I, I told her, I said, Melissa, you know, inevitably there's going to be some minorities might and majorities. And I don't mean that in a demographic standpoint, but like as far as trends that we see or outcomes, and I think you're, you know, hopefully tracking me, but it's like, you know, when you're running, you know, impressions across the internet, it, you're going to be able to say, Hey, you know, these folks over here got more impressions or these didn't, even though they were driven by, as you often point out, psychographic targeting or, you know, location or other things that are clearly not demographic driven. Um, but those outcomes nonetheless, like are there. And so I just don't know what you do about that. Yeah. Well, it's the whole, um, forget what the phenomenon is called in like scientific research, but it, it's the whole deal where it's like, once you measure something, it changes autom- you know, just by the fact that you're measuring it now, you know what I'm talking about? Um, so basically it's like, if you, if you're trying I to, like it, I don't, there's, some, there's this phenomenon where it's like, if you're, if you're observing something, like if a coin flip, you're observing coin flips or whatever, it's like, okay, it's always a 50, 50 split. But if you start observing it, even if it doesn't know you're observing it, it changes. It's this weird phenomenon. So now it's not coin flip isn't 50, 50. It's like you piqued my interest. Yeah. 64. There's the Jurassic park. uh, And I don't know if that, I don't think that was Murphy's law, but where he just says, you know, a drop of water, like you think it's going to go the same direction over and over. Chaos theory. Was that chaos theory? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, uh, don't question me on Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the movie expert here between the two of us, but sounds like movie. I need to stay away from Jurassic Park. Yeah, there's this I'll see if I can find it before we're done, but yeah, it's this once you start measuring something it automatically start it changes even if for no no reason. It's kind of like the placebo non-placebo thing. It can have an impact. Yeah. Well, um we we did point point this to to Joya uh, just uh, on episode we'll be airing here or already have um, you know just spotlighting um, in that case that we were talking to her about presentations um, and how they've evolved you know kind of on the business acquisition trail um, and in particular from a marketing marketer's perspective and we we brought up fair housing in that conversation just asking you know how much of a you know, point of uh, conversation is this right now. And I think she, you know, has probably been certainly on less pitches the last few months than she had um, based on what we heard from last year, but she was still saying that it wasn't a super active conversation, that it wasn't something they really bring forward or something that owners are actively like asking about, which really surprised me. Uh, I don't think I have that wrong. Didn't it? Wasn't that her answer? that it's not something that, you know, they're actively like saying, Hey, here are all the measures we take, you know, as from right. a marketing standpoint. And I see it, you know, you know that, and you, you've agreed, you know, as an opportunity, at least for us as a company 
to get out in front of it. So without staying on this for much longer, because I know there's other things we want to bring up, I'm just trying to say, what are, you know, this started with what questions might you ask if you were, you know, in a crowd with a panel up there. So decision tree was one of them. Disparate impact was a second. And then for me, the third is still what I asked Joy. I'd be curious to know from others, like, is this something that we all should be more proactively talking about, um, you know, leaning into, or is it, you know, still yet not reach that level, which seems almost absurd based on, you know, the climate of America right now. Well, to that point, I was going to say, like, I felt like in prior years, like even when we were asking those questions at Optech last year, I felt like it was almost taboo to start to start yeah. asking these questions. Yeah, I like, did too. Yeah. Like, like Greg it was, was very there awkward. And, and she was there and I, and we were asking, you could, I could just feel everybody was a little bit prickly mm-hmm. with like, Oh shoot, we're talking about like advertise. So to me, that reaction automatically tells me if this is an uncomfortable conversation is now we know like, well, then that's something we should be talking about. That's right. Cause that means that there is something wrong. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that's the biggest miss, at least for me is like not getting to rub shoulders and make this more of an active conversation with, the folks at, at an event like NAA. Yeah. All right. Well, this one would be kind of adjacent as far as something else that continues to bubble up. And um, it, it, I do mean it adjacent because um, it's not exactly fair housing, but it's just the privacy laws and, you know, what was happening or what has happened as far as legislation passed out in California. So, um, you know, we haven't, I think we had maybe one or two, and of course it was natural for Wendell to be one of them, uh, asking, you know, just to make sure we're covered or that we were clear about, you know, um, what that, what that law involved and that we were compliant as an agency. But, uh, yeah, is that something that you would have been curious to hear more about? Um, or do you think that's kind of like, I don't want to call it a flash in the pan, but, you know, California being California in a way, um, and, you know, being a little bit stricter, uh, which isn't, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, um, and that the rest of the country isn't necessarily going to follow suit. Um, that would be my question, I guess, if we were getting into kind of data privacy laws and whether this legislation out of California is going to have a ripple effect across the industry. Well, I think I think it would be some conversation because there's obviously a lot of um, there's a lot of rentals in California, so I think that permeates, and it's not like. A lot of the folks that go to NAA, like even if you're a California-based company, then you typically have properties that may be in surrounding states. And so I believe it would be part of the conversation. You just made me think, though, I wonder if if this data privacy stuff is going to get as messy as fair housing is. So as we get more and more into fair housing, we realize that every kind of township might have its own legislation on it. Mm -hmm. So I could totally see that happening where it's like the city of Inglewood passes whatever data privacy thing. And it's Mm -hmm. how how the heck are we going to keep track of it? It, Unless the U S takes a stance. So it's almost like, I mean, marijuana wasn't as bad as, as, uh, as fair housing is, but it's like with every state you had different laws around Mm -hmm. marijuana. It's Mm -hmm. like, how do I keep track? And if you're in with marijuana, it was a little bit easier because the little bit, we touched that industry before, at least it was like, um, it's more of a physical thing. So it's like, okay, well don't ship marijuana across state lines. Totally get it. No problem. Right. (laughs) But when it comes to like running digital ads or whatever you're marketing and you have so many people relocating to areas that can get really tricky. Um, Mm -hmm. So you just maybe wonder if that's going to become a problem. So that now I'm right now thinking like, shoot, the U S needs to take more of a stance like the EU. That way it's, it's just like one and done and you don't get these just, because I could imagine it like these patent trolls, basically, where it's like if you have like where people just start suing folks left and right for data things that they can't even prove. They're just like hoping to make some yeah. money out of it. 
Well, that's what I've been wondering is, and that would be one of my questions in, in a session like that is what can we expect? Does anybody have a forecast as to like the, uh, the policing, um, you know, of, of this, of these privacy data laws and legislation? Uh, cause it does seem like you said it, it, anybody could just get a kind of burr up there, you know what, and, and, and make life miserable, you know, for, for a lot of people. And so I don't know how they're going to manage that. And that's something I don't want to say that, you know, these lawmakers don't think about, but sometimes you wonder because they come out with these sweeping, like big, you know, changes. And then they don't really speak to like what to expect next other than, Hey, you need to follow this. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, thanks for the notice. So uh, the staying, if we can, just a little bit more on and transitioning now, hopping over from, you know, our little lily of, uh, I'm trying to use my, you know, leapfrog. Uh, <laughs> lily to lily. Yeah, lily we're path. going from lily to lily <laughs> in, in AA potential sessions. or uh, But is uh, data warehouses. So, you know, I wish that you were sitting next to me in Lurch and you, you were in something uh, at Optech, but that there was one that you did miss that uh, had the CCPA and then also talked a little bit more about data warehouses. But um, I'd be curious um, with all the data and disparate data and, you know, concerns around governance and, you know, fidelity and all these other things, um, if we're going to see, um, you know, a snowflake uh, solution enter, um, the the multifamily and maybe you know it's not a new company but it's just that we're going to see more of our own clients using uh, Snowflake and the like as far as their own data storage and also being better and more nimble at leveraging their data you know for practical insights but also uh, you know getting back to that governance so what are your thoughts there like you know we're excited, you know, much bigger vision for us uh, a few years out and don't think I'm letting the cat out of bag, but you know, we see opportunity there as far as, you know, more kind of developing data lakes and, you know, providing that service. Cause it seems like one that's desperately needed. Um, but because of the fragmentation in this industry, you know, I don't think they always can, they're not necessarily get, you know, seeing that picture really, uh, in focus yet. Well, they're part of it is there's, uh, we know like the industry is far behind and the current tech providers do a good job of, of locking folks out. But it, it's really interesting because I was just um, funny enough listening to an interview on my way in with um, the office today with the the founder of RJ Metrics. And RJ Metrics had, um, they were basically a data analytics company. They were trying to do basically become like a Tableau thing for different, uh, but they were focused on e-commerce. So if you had an e-commerce store, they were they would analyze your data. They would append consumer information with the the buyer, and then just teach you about like, oh, it's mostly twenty eight year olds that are interested in yoga and all this stuff. But then help visualize it. So they were started in two thousand eight, and they originally then Snowflake didn't exist. AWS was in its infancy. Google Cloud didn't exist. And so they had built all this like homegrown tech where like uh, end to end, like data warehouse, quick, quick real time analysis, yeah, ingestion of data. And what ended up happening was in 20, I think it was like 14 or something, but basically Looker came on and they came on the scene and Looker just crushed them. And it was because like they had started and they had been doing it for like six or eight years at that point. They had raised like, 24 million bucks and it was like but looker came in like just a couple years later on top of like google cloud and uh, some of these other like uh and snowflake snowflake like 
data lakes and services and it just made it easy. So all of a sudden, like all of this money, the 20 million bucks they put into developing, like how can we quickly ingest data or whatever became obsolete. And so they were like, oh damn, because they were like, we got, they got crushed. And so they were like, shoot, we, and they had to end up niching down. So they went from, from like the niche of e-commerce to like the niche of e-commerce where people are not yet big enough to invest in like a, a Google cloud or don't have the technical expertise. And so it really like sliced them down to where the market wasn't that big. And they ended up selling to Magento, uh, the e-commerce platform. And you'll get where I'm going with this. Looker but. sold to Magento? No, no, not Looker. Uh, sorry. RJ Metrics. The, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Looker sold, sold to Google, Google for yeah. $2.6 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. And there's a famous text message from the two founders of RJ when the one saw the article and they said, like, we effed up. Like, because <laughs> <laughs> they just started too soon. Yeah. Um, they were just slightly ahead of the game. But my point- Which sounds messed up, right? We started too soon. We were, right. you know, it's like usually the first ones in are the ones that get the big, you know, cash out. So, not, yeah. not always. I know right, there's right. plenty of exceptions. A lot of times but, it's the second player that makes it. But it's funny because yeah, they, they ended up selling out that to Magento. Magento didn't want their, the other end of their solution, which became, and you'll know this and so will uh, Lurch, but became Stitch. So you know how Lurch has always talked about Stitch? So Stitch was basically like a Zapier for data. So we can connect all these different data sets together quickly. And the whole Stitch ended up selling though. So they sold the first one. They were doing like 4 million in revenue. And they sold the first one for like less than 20 or less than 30 million bucks. Stitch in like 18 months, because they were allowed to keep that IP, ended up doing like 6 million in revenue and they sold for 60 million. They sold for like 10x revenue. And the whole the whole reason why is because like, shoot, now the companies are growing uh, and they all kind of have these legacy systems, these data lakes, and they but they can't get data into them. There's no efficient way. So mm-hmm. Stitch just allowed you to take data kind of like from anything and put it in there. My whole point of this, and I'm, now I'm taking up most of the time we have left on this no, podcast with stuff. this. The whole point of this was back to your thing is like, I wonder, because we've said this for, it feels like years now, but I wonder like, Who's going to be able to come in and finally disrupt all of these legacy Yardy, real page, whoever connections and is going to do the, to your point, kind of like the Zapier or whatever. And that would just be connecting the systems. But one data, as you're saying, warehouse or lake system where everything can pull into and now you own it and now you can take it wherever you want. And it would allow the whatever you, your real page and your Yardy data to get mixed and matched and it's fine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right there. Digital is changing its roadmap. We are fully now focused on solving this this problem. No, I'm kidding. I hope that that, that day does come. I think a lot of people uh, would. But see, it you is know, exciting to think about. I think the problem with whoever does it will be like how similar to what we've said is how do you avoid um, getting bought before you finish the mission, right? Because what ends up happening is like a strategic buyer will spend way more on you than someone that's just going after the value. The value you create out of this is worth like three to five X, Mm -hmm. but a strategic buyer will pay 10 to 20 X. And so I feel like they see the vision, the current, it cuts off the, right. It's all about, yeah, exactly. I'm pointing at Reed like emphatically. It's it's all about (laughs) the, uh, like how you can lock it down. So I feel like, you could spin up a landing page read underneath digital moniker saying we built this data lake and then like get that part of the business can get bought for yeah, here's a price amount of money <laughs> without any work done. Yeah, get my uh, pinky, uh, pinky out, you know? Well, I don't know if we, I don't know that we have time to cover this subject, but here 
I do want to talk about this at some point, but additional revenue streams for apartments. So like everyone thinks about how do I maximize the cost per square foot? And there's all of this talk about like the common spaces and whatnot getting used for other things like, oh, should we rent out the pool to non-residents and stuff? It seems to me that there are opportunities for other additional revenue streams. So we've seen some buildings that have like co-working space, um, that have, um, well, I'll say that renting out the common yeah, short-term spaces. rentals. And, yeah, 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 short-term rentals. But like, corporate. to me, there's like, and we see some of this, but it's like just quickly in the 30 seconds I wrote stuff down, but I was thinking like the moving in of residents and out of residents. It's like, I'm, I know there's referral programs like use this mover, but it seems like there's a lot, much of a, a larger opportunity there to me. seems like there's a big opportunity around like, I imagine when I was, and this is, people are going to think this is corny, but when I, like when I was going to, to school, I was always using like the vending machine or buying like an extra notebook or whatever. It's like, it's like a convenience store almost. It's like all of these, these apartment buildings rent out like space for, they hope a Walgreens moves in underneath mm-hmm. them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying become a Walgreens, but I just, it feels like, and maybe that's part of like the, um, maybe it doesn't work anymore because Postmates and seamless is around and you can flash order anything, but it seems like there would be something there to me. And then, um, um, rent payments. So you, you, it's been years since you've had to do this and, and same for me at this point, but I'm like splitting the, um, payments for your rent by across roommates, or even as I was thinking about it, like, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, but I was thinking like how hard it is to budget. Like if you're making like paycheck to paycheck and you're trying to pay your rent all in one nut and particularly during these COVID times and it's like, oh, I got to find a thousand bucks and I got to do, it's like, if you could only be putting away, like oh, I'm going to put 300 bucks out of this paycheck and 600 bucks out of that paycheck and a hundred out of this one. It's like to make these smaller payments to add up to your rent. Mm-hmm. seems like there's opportunity there because you, I'm sure you've been in those situations where cash is tight and you're looking at your bank account and you're like, I need to save that for rent, but I really need, <laughs> I'd rather be in smaller chunks than this like all at once thing. Right. So where's, where's the revenue come in? Like what's the model on that? Well, one is, well, you're I talking guess, about like paycheck deductions for, well, there would for be rent. T- Right. Uh, right. That could like be one angle deductions. or there's like, um, or do you do like with the roommate thing? Is it more of like by roommate per check? And then it's more of you're charging a convenience fee, which gets really annoying too to the renter. Um, but maybe it just helps like depending on your property, like maybe it helps you just recover more rent instead of a not like right now, a lot of folks are at 99% rent payments, but once like, like, um, shoot, what the hell is it? Uh, what's the thing when you lose your job? and you get paid unemployment unemployment yeah once one unemployment runs out it's like now what's it going to be like so i feel like people could just be scrapping together some um so I, anyways maybe it just helps them recover more because that you're at 99 percent now but maybe in a couple months you'll be at 92 percent because there's so many so much yeah. unemployment going well on the backing up on the idea of like the let's say built-in pharmacy or something i think depending on what of course. I mean, that, that's always the classic, right? Depending. But that could be super interesting. What I think you'd go up against, and we've already heard this from some of our clients with the short-term rentals or the uh, stay Alfreds and, and whatnot, is that uh, the current residents or the, let's just say the long-term residents can't stand that, you know? And that's what you'd battle. You mean like, if you opened your own right, store? Right. Yeah, yeah. If you were like, guess what we're going to be doing? And then you had like uh, non-residents coming by, you know, that were like, Hey, I just need to pick up some cold medicine or something. 
Um, but I still think it's a really fascinating idea. Um, you mentioned the movers. I think taking that a step further, and you've heard this before, I mentioned it, I think when we were in Minneapolis uh, talking to you know Janet um, on that call, but I think there's definitely something there with rebates where it's like, think of all the business that apartments send to their local communities and retailers. And, you know, they, they, to what I, for all I know is they get like maybe some coupons, you know, but if you were to say, Hey, you know, you're a pizza joint down the street. And if all we do, like every time a resident comes in and signs up or we keep it like up on a board, wherever it is, and it's like, and then we can track that back because we know that mm-hmm. resident. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, if they end up spending, you know, $5,000 in the year for you, then we should get 2%. Mm-hmm. And then collectively, if you did that with retailers around your area, you could end up with $100,000 at the end of the year that would make your regional super happy. That would be really interesting. Basically like a shared um, referral program. Yeah, it's a referral, yeah, total retail referral program. And I think you just look at it on an annual basis and- you know, if I'm them, you know, what do you have to lose if you're the pizza joint? Yeah. It's like, that's great. You're going to put us up as a preferred, you know, uh, you know, retailer in the community. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And all it's going to cost us is 2%. That's, that's guaranteed. That's not me putting my money out there and hoping that I get some business out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to cut this short, but I got to jump on another call. So <laughs> this is, uh, I do think we should pick this back up another time, but I do too. I'm going to, my cliffhanger, uh, is APIs. I want to talk about APIs. Okay. <laughs> and I and you know why? <laughs> Cuz we're in freaking API hell right now. Um sorting through all this. So I'm I would love for that to be a session, you know, at NAA or MTech or whatever, you know, uh Optech. Nobody's talking about that. And I think that would mm-hmm. be another one that could get a little awkward as far mm-hmm. as like, you know, who's open, who's not, why, and do you guys have any clue how much they charge people? You know, which is frankly, I think, keeping the industry back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, APIs. Totally. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy our week of, I don't know, in lieu of NAA content. We got a couple of really fun ones coming up. So we have um, Dennis uh, from, as reads a Joshua Tree Conference Group, going to talk about ev- how events are being changed by the current situation. We have one on, uh, oh, we have a webinar update, a COVID webinar data update. Um, and then... Well, we're hoping to get, uh, you know, our friends from Origin on, but uh, still TBD, right? Yeah. Well, uh, we're, just yeah. as far as owners and investors. Yep. Looking to have a podcast on owners and investors. So um, anyways, there's some other good stuff that's coming out in the weeks around this, like a, a great interview about ad fraud and what oh, you yeah. should be aware aware of when, well... Is that, that's maybe. this week uh, with Manny? Uh, yeah. That's great. That's yeah. going to be a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, hope you guys enjoy. <laughs>